One thing I want to talk about is my own personal history with this piece by Bruce Nauman. It's from 1967, Wax on Cloth. It's called From Hand to Mouth. And I first, uh, for some reason I feel more comfortable on this side of it, but um, <laughs> I first encountered it at the retrospective that Hirshhorn and the Walker did around 94 or 95. I first wrote about it 14 years ago. And at that time, uh, which would have been you know, some 25 years after the piece was made, people were still talking about it in terms of where it fit into Nauman's body of work um, relative to its linguistic origins. The title from, you know, this is not an untitled piece, he did plenty of those. This is from hand to mouth. And what he was doing at that time with a few of his pieces was playing with the idea of literalizing certain phrases and idioms. Um, and so here you have this wax cast that goes from the hand to the mouth. Sorry about that. That's, uh, that goes from the hand to the mouth. He also did a photo and a non-cast but sculpted wax called Bound to Fail. Uh, where it was the back of someone's torso down the road. And a lot of people sort of got on the linguistic bus talking about these things. And when I came around to writing about this in 94, I wanted not to be on that bus. Because I felt, well, we had a lot of linguistic criticism, not just in terms of Nauman, but relating to all kinds of art. And um, also, it wasn't really the way that the piece hit me. I was more interested in the materiality of the piece, its waxiness, um, the shape of it, the form of it, the fact that it actual, actually is a piece of figurative portraiture made by a conceptual artist, which in the 1960s was sort of a peculiar thing. Um, and so when I wrote about it, just sort of in passing, because it was 1,500 words on an entire floor of work, I related it to certain themes of morbidity and the idea of memorial sculpture in Nauman's work. Um, he was very interested in the body, the shape of the body, documenting the shape of the body, often his own. He did one piece where he sort of took, uh, it's, it's almost like um, the map that hikers use, a topographical map, but he would take um, a measure of the side of his body every 10 inches, and then he rendered this in neon, or he rendered um, a sculptural form that was based on these measurements. Um, he did pieces of um, knee impressions. He did, um, he did uh, and, and, and these were all relating to the body, relating to sort of uh, in, incidentally the idea of, um, of absence, of the body having been there, of having shaped the work, of no longer being there, of leaving a record behind that was more or less permanent. And he also was interested in certain very specific ideas about memorial sculpture. After John Coltrane died, 
he did this piece that was a big hunk of aluminum and it had a mirror finish on it. Well, you had to trust him that it had a mirror finish on it because it was to the bottom. It was positioned right on the floor. And so it was sort of like the idea of music that was no longer playing. It was a mirror in which nothing could be seen that reflected nothing. There was a certain um, powerful negative emotion about his work. He has said, and I always think of him as sort of a conceptualist, not for the mind, but for the gut. Uh, his pieces may start in ideas, but they usually end up with very visceral reactions that you have to them. People have reported being sickened by his videos. Some of them are very assaultive, have assaulted soundtracks and visuals and things. Um, he once said that uh, he wanted to make art that would come on you all at once like being hit with a baseball bat, or better yet, being hit with a bat in the back of the head. This is not the way that most people talk about their work and the effect they want it to have on you. But, um, but I, I found the, the whole experience to be assaultive, overpowering, compelling, just wouldn't leave me alone. Um, it's, uh, it remains one of my favorite shows that I've ever seen. And this was one of my favorite pieces in it. And compared to the rest of his work, there's a fragility and a quietness to it um, that, um, while at the same time keeping certain um, morbid overtones, you know, it's, uh, the color of it is not what is normally associated with wax sculpture. It's sort of this gray-green, um, it doesn't really suggest a live body. And when you look at it in terms of wax sculpture, which is still probably, although it has an art historical um, context that every now and then sort of pops up, and there actually is a book out that um, I wanted to, to show you that uh, just came out this year from the Getty. It's called Ephemeral Bodies, Wax Sculpture and the Figure. And it goes through a bunch of things like Madame Tussauds, where you have um, heads on pikes from the French Revolution. It talks about um, medical models made in wax. The idea being that wax was a material that replicated flesh, either living or dead, or in some sort of medical um, in-between space. And getting back to the idea of the wax museum, think of something like uh, Madame Tussauds, where the idea is, and this is also borne out in movies about wax museums. There have been a number of horror movies, House of Wax, both the 53 and the Paris Hilton 2005 version, which were themselves remakes of the 1933 Mystery of the House of Wax, where wax sculpture is seen as almost inherently a failure because it paradoxically wants to be seen as an absolute imitation of life as the real thing 
while simultaneously being an artistic creation. And you can't really have it both ways. You know, you can't both be living and be made by an artist, be fabricated. And uh, in these movies, what usually happens is someone uh, experiences, some, the artist experiences some sort of trauma that causes them to become psychotic, and then they end up, instead of making their figures out of wax, coating corpses in wax. And if you look at the way that um, this particular piece was made, uh, that idea of coating the body, although in this case it was a live body, is absolutely present. It's not going for the illusionism of the wax museum. It's not trying to be something it's not. It's very literal in a way that was characteristic of art of its time. If you think about things like uh, the early paintings of Frank Stella, where what you see is what you see. If you think about the specific objects of minimalism, um, if you think about the body art and performance art of people like Chris Burden, for whom it was not enough to pretend to get himself shot, he had to actually be shot and documented on camera. Or Marina Abramovich, who came very close in a performance piece to allowing herself to be killed. There's a certain idea of the literal having more power over the imagination than the depicted. And in a quiet way, this is in that lineage, and in that particular time, in the 60s and 70s, that was a very powerful idea. Because this is not um, so much a representation of an arm as it is a replica of an arm. It is the skin of the arm itself. And to create this, Nauman used this stuff that he found in what he calls a police store. It's uh, called moulage, and it's this kind of rubbery stuff that you can coat a figure with, wait for it to harden, then you peel it back, you have to cast immediately before it shrinks, and then you can melt it and reuse it like a hundred times. But it's used often for, um, for casting tire treads, in police work. Um, also, just the, the term moulage has come to mean a number of different things. Um, in particularly 19th century medicine, this is, forgive me, but this is what I found on the, uh, the internet. This is a moulage medical sculpture of someone who has a very bad syphilis sore. Uh, and moulage was not just, or not necessarily, the material. It was the technique of preserving medical oddities or medical conditions in sculptural form. Nowadays, there's another kind of moulage where um, this depiction of wounds is uh, is it, uh, done on a whole bunch of volunteers to prepare first responders to for various catastrophic events. 
And the event itself is called moulage, naming it after the uh, sculpted wounds that are applied to the volunteers, which itself comes from the material and from you know, the French. Um, and so morbidity and vulnerability and the fragmentary nature of this piece um, all lend us a, a certain power that I think goes beyond its linguistic origin. Um, it's also significant if any of you have seen the Medardo Rosa sick boy that was down on the second floor. I think now it's closed off. They're rehanging that floor. But uh, Rosa was someone who was in the tradition of using wax to depict illness. And it's this paradoxical nature of wax that it is um, both strong and fragile. You melt it to uh, get it to flow, but then once it's fixed, if you heat it more, you destroy the thing that you've created. And this idea of it being somewhere between being living and being dead that um, I found really compelling when I was first looking at it. But then over the course of you know, years, 14 years of coming to this museum and um, loving this piece and not always knowing exactly why, on any one particular occasion, it grabbed me. I've come to lean more and more on a personal interpretation of what it is. Because when Nauman made it, it was widely assumed, because he had done so many things involving traces of his own body, that this was a replica of his own arm. And he actually allowed people to believe that for a while. There are cases of interviews, like one in Arts Magazine in 1970 with Willoughby Sharp, where he does nothing to disabuse Sharp of the notion that this is his, his artist's arm. It, in fact, is the arm of his first wife. And when Marcia Tucker wrote a piece called Phenomenology, again, getting back to the whole linguistic theme, for Art Forum in December of 1970, she made the same mistake, because Malin was doing nothing to lead people to um, understand the truth of this object. And uh, Malin's wife, I believe her name was, was Judy, actually wrote in and complained. And Malin said later that it was less a matter of setting the record straight than of taking a certain amount of credit. And I actually think that she deserves the credit, because to a certain extent, this is an artifact of the relationship that she had with her husband. One way to look at this work is to think of all the things that were not done with it. It's not a full-scale, head-to-toe um, cast like you'd see in a George Siegel, and which subsequently, subsequently becomes kind of narrative. Um, and it's um, it, it doesn't actually it, it's not psychological in the sense of uh, expressing anything about 
you know, what's going on in her mind. But what it is, is it's very gestural. And this is not an arm that's relaxed. It's not an arm that's hanging limp. If you look at the picture of Bob Price over there with Mars and Hartley, obviously these two are placed together because of the rhyming arm. But um, this, in fact, is not the arm of the dead. If you just sort of wring your arm out, if you just, just let it hang, it doesn't hang like that. It hangs like this. It hangs with the thumb forward. This is, this suggests a more exposed posture. And the way that I've come to look at it now um, is that I think it's one of very few conceptually based contemporary artworks that can be interpreted in addition to all the other ways you interpret it as being about marriage, as being about the connection of marriage, as being um, about sort of um, the gestures that make up the rituals that go into forming the culture that is a marriage as it develops every year. When I first wrote about this piece, I was 28, I believe. I've been married about seven years. Now I'm 42. I've been married half my life. And over the last year especially, I've come to um, think of my wife's body very much in terms of her arms because she was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis last year and she has to inject herself every couple of days with interferon and I have to help her and the one place that she can't reach is the back of her arm. And you know, you can have sex with someone for decades, but the first day you shoot someone up is different. It's vulnerable. It's fragile. You feel like you're hurting someone even as you're helping them. And um, you know, like it or not, I have come to take this upon myself personally as sort of an emblem of the vulnerability to physical decay of the culture, the shared ritual that is a marriage and that is necessarily lived out in bodily form. Um, Nauman is currently married, unless things have changed, to Susan Rothenberg, the painter, um, and has been since, I think, the late 80s. But this is a piece that will always be, in some way, a relic of his first marriage. And we're all stuck with it. And that's one of the great things about a work of art, even one rendered in as fragile a material and as changeable a material and as multivalent a material as wax, um, it'll stay the same over 40 years and you'll come back to it. My history with it is relatively short. It's only 14. And um, you'll have changed and it'll allow that. Because one of the things that happens when someone's talking about a work is, of course, you're looking at the work on a product you never would originally. Did it change for you at any point? Or did your relationship change to it? What do people notice now? I, I thought that it was a moment from the beginning before you said it, just because of the, 
Yeah, and uh, actually, I don't know now, and I have no idea, you know, how big a person he is. Uh, and photographs from that time, he does look fairly slight of frame. Uh, you know, this was before the obesity epidemic. Lots of people were. I love the obesity epidemic. You know, I just stayed fat and got thin just relative to everyone. But, um, it, it almost is understandable how people could make the mistake um, because, you know, he's not someone like John Baldessari who's, you know, considerably taller than I am. <laughs> um, but, um, so when you saw it as a woman's arm initially, what were you thinking? that I would like to credit Naomi's um, first wife, and I'm pretty sure her name is Judy, although somewhere in my name, that in my notes, her name also appears as Jane, so don't quote me. <laughs> One of those is wrong, at least. But um, I want to credit her with this, is that I think this is a piece of figuration in which the muse, as such, is not at work. He didn't pick a model. He picked someone who was there with him every day. Um, and I think that relationship is different from, you know, it's possible for artists to be married to their muses. That certainly happens. But um, I feel that this is closer than that.
creator in order to be more of a witness. I think in a piece like this, um, Naaman gets to have both of those. You know, he's a witness to his marriage, he's a participant, he's a creator of the piece, his wife is a creator of the piece. It's, it's something that is shared. And um, it's, it's a real oddity. You know, this is not an addition.